How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Good. Busy weekend coming up. What you got going on? Uh, there's going to be a concert in the house tomorrow, so I have to Ooh. do all kinds of prep work for it. What sort of concert? Uh, it's going to be uh, piano, cello, and uh, soprano vocalist doing some stuff by a woman who is a friend of uh, George Gershwin, who is not a famous composer because it wasn't likely that you'd become a famous composer if you were a woman at that time. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Supposedly very good. I'll I'll uh, I'll find out. I don't I don't I haven't heard the music, so I don't know what it's like. Should be fun though. Yeah, I like the the instrumentation. Sounds like it could have nice possibilities. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Just had the piano tuned yesterday, so mm. yeah, it's always nice. Anyway, so uh, uh, we should probably talk about meditation. Um, welcome, Nick. I don't know if have you been here before. I haven't seen you. I don't think. Uh, this is my third week here. The first week oh, I came, cool. yeah, you weren't here. Okay. All right. So I'm just uh, unobservant. So uh, does anybody want to start? Um, yeah, I have some questions about full body breathing. Okay. Um, so I feel like the body scan is pretty easy for me from uh, stage five, but as I'm attempting to do full body breathing, I feel like my attention is always looking at a particular part of my body. Like the, uh, within a breath, I'll rapidly scan from head to toe, but it never feels like I'm simultaneously aware, if you know what I mean. So I'm not sure if that's a problem or if that's intended. So um, for me, uh, there's various different layers of the breath and the body. There's the circulate the circulating moving breath. And that's the first uh, aspect that I noticed. And then there's also a expansion and contraction that feels like a kind of vibratory sort of buzzing uh, thing going on. Um, and uh, I think as long as you're intending to keep your attention on the whole body, you might notice that there's that circulation of the breath. Uh, and it's not necessarily that you're doing it wrong. It's just that you have a scope of attention and the breath is in that scope of attention and it may be moving, but your scope of attention is still, if you're intending it to be, it's still the whole body. Um, so as long as, as long as you don't notice, your attention only zooming in on the parts of the body where you're breathing and only like following that movement, uh, I would say there's, there's no problem there. Yeah. I'm definitely simultaneously aware of, you know, the kind of tingling in my feet, hands and head and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think your description, your ladder description is pretty good. That's about what I'm doing. Thanks. One thing uh, that you might also look at with this is um, there, there are different ways to scope attention. 
one of the ways to scope attention is to push the attention at the object. And another way to scope the attention is to sort of select what's in awareness. So in other words, all kinds of input is coming to you and you're just like, you know, some of it you're going like attention and some of it you're going like not attention. Um, and uh, you, may tr you may find it beneficial to just play around with that and see if you can, because uh, if, you're, if you're really pushing your attention at a particular location in the body, then that's gonna feel very localized. Whereas if your attention is just selecting, then uh, you can over time develop the ability to, uh, to and, and really it's not that you're developing the ability, it's, it's that you're, you're stopping doing uh, something. Um, there's a, a attention doesn't need to identify what it's what it's attending to. It doesn't need to to uh, there doesn't need to be a dualistic relationship between what's in attention and attention itself. And um, if you if you play around with the sort of pushing attention versus selecting thing, you may be able to access that um, or not. I'm, I, it's all very experiential, so so whether this advice would actually work for you, I don't know, but you can give it a try and see what happens. Well, thanks, it's very helpful. Sure. Just a follow-up question. Uh, how important is it during the body scan to actually keep like this proprioceptive awareness of the body in uh, in attention? I find that when I, it seems like the, the deeper I get into doing, um, sorry, I meant the whole body breathing, not the body scan. When I get deeper into doing the whole body breathing, I sort of, uh, I kind of forget the body after a while. And all I feel is this, um, uh, it's like this wind element, basically, like this sense of change. It feels like it's everywhere. Um, it's, it's sort of this um, like breathing in and out sensation, but uh, it eventually becomes pretty divorced from the body. And uh, it goes out of sync with like the breath of the nose, for example. Uh, I find it, it's a very engaging object. I'm just curious if I'm doing uh, the whole body breathing correctly when I do that. I'll let Sam answer that. Um, yeah, so that sounds, uh, there's a certain uh, energetic flow that happens that's not in phase with the breath and that you start to notice uh, when your awareness gets sharper. Um, as, so as a follow-up, are you these sensations, are these all breath sensations or are, these, are you differentiating some of these as breath sensations and some of these as energetic things going on? Uh, it seems like there's energetic stuff going on and then the breath sensations sort of give a, like they give a pattern to the, uh, to the energetic sensations and the energetic sensations just flow with the breath for a while. Uh, but then eventually it becomes sort of, it's an independent thing. It feels like it, it definitely comes out of the breath sensations though. Yeah, so um, this is your, um, your mind's getting sharper and conscious power is increasing as a result of what you're doing. And so you're just noticing more things going on in the body, I think. Um, so when you initially start to notice that, it can be a little confusing as to what's the breath and what's uh, energy, what's vibrations. Uh, there's a lot there. Like once you get really sharp, uh, there, there's, there's so much detail in the body that is just below the level of normal awareness that once you start to increase that uh, acuity, 
Um, there's just so much there to sort through. But if you keep doing it, um, what I've noticed is if I'm extremely sharp, um, there's almost uh, there's there's a certain vibratory nature of all the sensations if you take them as a whole, and only some of those are breath. Um, they're not all breath, um, and when I when I experience this like really keenly, it's like there's a vibration, and you can feel which vibrations are the breath vibrations. Um, and it sounds like you're on the way to that sort of perception. Um, and if you just keep the intention to only stick with the breath sensations, uh, you might just start to intuitively notice that some of these sensations are not breath and some of these sensations are breath. Um, but it sounds, sounds really good though. Cause you're noticing energetic stuff and uh, that's, that's a sign that you're headed in the right direction. Definitely. Okay. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Ted. Oh, uh, Sam actually sort of touched on this, but I just wanted to point out um, noticing things that are out of sync with the breath versus things that are out of phase with the breath might be an interesting thing to explore. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's always things out of phase with the breath. Uh, okay. That. Yeah, so it gets little, out of, sorry. It can get a little weird because the more focused you get, the breath tends to slow down and uh, it tends to get very calm. Um, but there's there's still energetic stuff going on, uh, even if the breath is like almost not there. Um, so uh, when the breath slows down like that, I get a lot more out of uh, emphasizing the expansion contraction type sensations because those uh those can be more prominent if the breath is not moving very much and if uh i mean you'll still notice the circulatory stuff like the i don't know if you notice um there's a flow at least for me there's a flow from the internal out to my extremities um, i notice like a buzzing in the torso and starting in the face, and then it moves out. Um, that's the circulatory thing that I'm talking about. But there's also there's also an expansion contraction that's kind of, and it might be different for you, but uh, it's uh, like a buzzing sensation, and the buzzing sort of uh, varies in intensity, and there's just this sense that. Uh, there's a different nature to the buzzing or vibrations, whether you're breathing in or breathing out. And it'll be cyclical. Yeah, I, that's parts of that are really similar to my experience. I have uh, so this very high frequency kind of vibration or buzzing sensation, and this has a pattern to it. And that pattern is kind of this expansion contraction feeling that that was originally at least tied to the breath sensation. So. Yeah, this is good. So how's the um, how's the tension thing in your face going? Uh, that's actually interesting. When I get into the full body breathing really well, um, the tension in my face actually feels identical to the high frequency vibration that's kind of in the background. 
Uh, like it becomes identified with that sensation. Uh, it feels no different at all. So I don't notice it once I'm doing the full body breathing uh, and I get to it. Yeah, definitely keep going with that. So I've got uh, something sort of related um, a while back. I asked Chuladasa about um, sort of starting um, stage five practices while in stage six, specifically like the body scan. He recommended against it, and I've seen others say that, or others would say, well, I think it might be a good idea. Um, I was wondering about y'all's thoughts about that not to be like i disagree with chuladasa or anything like that but um just wanted to hear folks's thoughts so you're saying you you, you want to you're you're considering doing stage six and stage five at the same time uh more <laughs> stage four and stage five at the same time <laughs> oh okay uh Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, always, it's always good to try doing stage X, whatever X is, and see what happens. And uh, if it works, go for it. Um, like if you don't have problems, but for example, suppose you're doing the body scan and you start to notice you're getting distracted a lot. Well, that means you need to work on distraction. And so the body, it might actually be useful to do the body scan just so that you can create that situation, but you're really not doing stage five practice at that point. You're just bringing up your mental energy so that the distractions are more powerful and, and you get a chance to work with them more. So, you know, I mean, this, so, so my tendency would be to suggest that you just do whatever works to, to, to create the distraction. And if that's doing the body scan, then sure do the body scan, but, but it's not, you're, you're really, your, your goal there is just to get better at that stage four practice. And that's totally fine. I mean, that's, that's, it's, you know, that the body scan works for that. So it's just, it's not really, you're not really getting fully into the body scan because you aren't able to, 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 uh, to, to fully do it because you keep getting distracted. So. Right. Yeah, I did. I, yesterday during my sit, um, I sort of late in the sit, things were getting kind of like weird. <laughs> like my intention was, was getting tired, I guess, mm -hmm. um, from trying like, efforting basically with stage four like trying to notice subtle distractions before they become gross distractions um and i decided i sort of went into for a bit a do nothing ish practice which just kind of morphed into a body scan and then that like like gross distractions seemed to be gone for a while and it wasn't gr there wasn't any like strong dullness either um like things yeah. felt very very bright it was it was a little strange um i guess that's largely where i'm coming from with the yeah. question but. so what you're describing sounds like it's probably stable subtle dullness uh subtle dullness sounds like it ought to be dull but actually it can be very bright it can be very energetic um it's just not as energetic as it could be and it's it's like basically stage five is all about like turning up the dial on the energy so I mean, that's one way of looking at it. It's also about cre increasing mental power, but um, 
so in other words, it wouldn't, it's not all that surprising if you're on the cusp of stage five, that you would find yourself having this exact experience. It's you, when you're in stable, subtle dullness, there's a tendency for, for gross distractions not to come up. Um, and subtle distractions even can be, can be pretty non-existent. But as soon as you start to increase your mental energy, they come back. So, you know, just keep, keep like, basically you're right on the edge of something and just keep, keep turning up the dial and, and, and addressing whatever comes up and then turn up the dial a little more and address what comes up. And, you know, eventually you get to the point where the distractions aren't happening. Um, also though, uh, what you're saying about efforting is probably something to pay attention to, um, because that could be part of your problem. Um, if you're, if you're keeping your, your, your distractions at bay with efforting, um, you'll wear yourself out. And at the end of the meditation, you won't be able to do it anymore. Um, and so, uh, so one of the things that you probably would want to play with is noticing how much effort you're putting into the intention and seeing if you can dial that back. So in other words, uh, you know, like suppose, suppose, you know, if you think about it in terms of like, you know, refreshing the intention, every breath, for example, um, well, maybe see if you can not refresh the intention, every breath, <laughs> um, and even see if you can just let go of, of trying to refresh the intention and just accept that you will get distracted and, uh, that the intention that you set when you started following the breath will at some point reassert itself and do the right thing. And when that happens, do that checking in and, and reevaluating and then just repeat the cycle. And so that way you're not actually efforting. You're just, um, and I'm not saying that this is the right way to do it. And the other way is the wrong way to do it, by the way, I'm just saying you can play around with these things and see, um, you know, Sam was talking the other day about holding a really strong intention, uh, but not efforting, which was a really helpful, uh, distinction and I've actually been using it in my practice. Um, so, so that's an interesting thing, but in order to get there, you have to not be doing this thing where you're holding the intention and then feeling like you're actually, you know, holding something together because you're really not. Um, so, so that's why I suggest playing around with just like, like setting the intention and then just completely letting go of it and see what happens. And then when, when you notice what happens, reevaluate, set the intention again, maybe change it a little bit and keep doing that. And, and you may find what I find when I do that is that like, it's not super, it's not really quick, quickly effective. Like I won't start noticing the subtle distraction. The first time I do that, I'll notice it like the third time I do that. And then, and, and so that just, it, it builds slowly, but, um, and so there may be a better way to do it, but just playing around with that degree of, of, um, of intensity might help you because you really do not want to get to the end of your meditation and feel what you described. That's, that's an indication of too much effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was sort of suspecting as much, but not sure like yeah. how to go about it, but yeah, that's very helpful thing. Yeah. I mean, one thing to think about is like when you get to stage seven, you're going to be setting an intention and it's going to be continuing for the entire sit, at least in principle. I mean, it might, you might have to re renew it a couple times if you're not really in stage seven, but almost in stage seven, but but that's kind of like the, what you're, what you're shooting for. And it's, it's, it's totally possible. And if it's totally possible, then you can approximate it now and, and it won't work as well. And you can learn from that. Mm -hmm. Cool. I will try that. Thanks.
Cool. So I noticed, Riff, you had your hand up a little bit, and, and you, you don't have your hand up in the thing. Do you? We can put our hand up in the thing? There's a thing we can put our hand up in? It's totally know. a thing. Yeah, if you go to manage participants or whatever it says if you're not the host. Oh, I see uh, it. Yeah. Then uh, if you and look I can at, raise hands. I didn't know that. That's why I was actually physically raising my hand. Wow, yeah, that's cool. Now you know. Yeah, so, so, uh, so what were you raising your hand about? Yeah, I feel like that kind of touched on my question, and um, I don't know if it's – I'm trying to think about how to talk to this. Um, in general, I feel like my practice is going fairly well, but I mean, for me, it's going well. It's kind of all you can say. Um, I, I feel like I've really lost track of my notion of stages. Like the stages don't really feel very distinct to me at all. Um, I feel like I'm in some kind of blend of maybe like a four five and six kind of world. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can set my attention to just rest on the breath. It doesn't feel effortful. Um, nothing will happen for like a couple minutes. Like it's really easy to stay on the breath for a couple of minutes. Then there'll be a distraction. Sometimes it'll be, you know, quite subtle and I'll like notice it right away and just let it go and stay for some more breaths. Sometimes it'll be kind of a medium distraction and it'll kind of go for a few seconds and it'll, you know, sort of capture attention a little bit for a few seconds and I'll let it go. Sometimes it'll be quite gross and I'll like think about other stuff for what feels like 15 to 30 seconds, although I'm not watching the clock. Um, if I body scan, I don't particularly lose attention, but neither does any additional energy show up. Um, the breath feels pretty distinct on my nose. Like I can, um, I can feel a number of different sensations, but nothing super crazy or energetic. You know, sometimes, sometimes my body will feel a little weird. Like I'll be a different shape or my mouth will be in a different place on my body, but not often. Um, it's all pretty pleasant, but not overwhelmingly pleasant. You know, I don't have trouble motivating to sit because it feels good. Um, I've more or less overcome waiting for the end of the sit. So I pretty much don't think about what time it is like a couple times. So it kind of feels like a, a pleasant, good mishmash of four, five, and six that are kind of developing. Um, but I don't know if I should be trying to make it more distinct somehow or just keep going. I mean, it does, it does feel like something's happening over time. That It doesn't feel like a static process. So it's kind of where I am. Mm. The question just made me think of it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, not an unfamiliar description. Um, and uh, I suspect that, so, well, first of all, let me ask you this. When you sit down, do you have some kind of intention for what you're going to explore in that meditation? Yeah, I do. This is from something you said to me a few weeks ago that I think has been um, quite quite fruitful so far, um, which is basically the thing I'm looking for um, is uh, to set an intention to basically like really notice distractions as soon as they start to show up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the idea there was that I'm going to try and like really reduce the grossest distractions, which feel like, you know, even though there aren't that many of them, they're still maybe kind of the weak link potentially. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So, um, so let me suggest an alternative approach and I'm not saying my approach is correct and yours is incorrect. No, I'm just suggesting it is a, well, well, they're both yours. So it's not like there's real high stakes here. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, no, I'm not too attached, but, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, rather than, rather than worrying about gross distractions, rather than having an attention to deal with gross distractions, consider, uh, trying very, uh, well, not trying very hard, but consider setting a, setting a, 
strong uh, intention. <laughs> a strong intention to notice subtle distractions the moment they arise. Um, because when you're having gross distractions, so, so your goal in stage four and stage five is not to do anything about subtle distractions other than not let them turn into gross distractions. So if your intention is to, is to deal with gross distractions, the problem with that is that that's not actually what's going haywire in your meditation. Yeah, let me, let me, let me say that. Let me say, I didn't say my intention was to notice gross distractions. My intention was to notice distractions as soon as they sure, arrive. So, sure. there, so there are times that I'm reinforcing where distraction is very subtle. I notice it right when it's subtle and I kind of yep. immediately um, let it go. I, guess I'll, I also want to ask about like, dig a tiny bit into like what happens when I notice a subtle or possibly a less subtle distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so, so, go ahead. Yeah, so I, th- I think I see your point, which is that if I was only trying to notice gross distractions, then I'm trying to look you know, too late in the process, right? What I wanna see is yeah. the subtle ones before they become gross. Yeah, and, and in addition to that, um, I would say make the, make the intention explicit that you're only looking for subtle distractions because you're already gonna notice gross distractions, right? If you, if you, if you <laughs> fail to notice the subtle distraction, the gross distraction will happen, and at some point you'll be like, oh wow, I'm in a gross distraction. Okay, I better do something about that. You don't really need to have an intention you know, like, like that's, yeah. that just falls into the category of do what you need to do, right? Got it. But so, especially, is, yeah. so specifically go after the subtle ones. Yeah. 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 And don't even, yeah. Yeah. And so my experience when I'm doing that actively, and maybe we can, I don't take too much more time, is that when I'm, when I kind of have that active attention to, when I have that strong intention to notice all the distractions and when it's active, mm-hmm. you know, what I do find some of the time is that like, I'll even like know there was a subtle distraction, but not even like consciously be aware of what it was. And so I don't feel like I have to yeah. do anything in that case. Sometimes there's subtle distractions where it's a, a little bit more than that. And then I feel like I have to use maybe like a, a tiny bit of effort to not go down the path. Is that the right thing to be doing here? Like it's tiny, but there's some sort of like decision that I'm not going yeah. to follow the subtle distraction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and part of your intention actually is, 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 is intending to make that decision and not the other one. Okay. Uh, one of the problems that can happen is if you give yourself permission, if there are some subtle distractions that it's okay to follow, then that can that can lead to gross distraction as well. Right, but there shouldn't uh, be any at this point. Yeah, and you know when I say some subtle distractions, um, any any time that you're not attending to the breath, that's a subtle distraction. And there's a tendency sometimes to think of stuff that's sort of meta meditation stuff as okay to be a subtle distraction. Oh, yeah, I've really been I've really been working with that a long time. Like I think for for a very long time, it was always like thinking about whether the meditation was going well, or like thinking about how I was going to talk about this with my meditation teacher. Oh, yeah. And that's really that's very much decreased. And now, like I've really noticed, like when I think about it, it feels like I don't want to overuse the word but like a defilement to use maybe a, a term they would say like it's it feels coarse. Like I don't I don't it it starts to really stand out as something I notice immediately and can discard. Mm-hmm. It's, Cool. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I'll work with that for a while and uh, let you know how it goes in a few weeks. All right. So Rodrigo, you have your hand up. Yeah, I have actually a couple of follow-up, follow-up questions based on what John and Rick said. And the first one is, you mentioned uh, testing, uh, I don't know, further stages and see what happens. Uh, but I remember one of Chuladasa's Q&A, he said that uh, sometimes if you use uh, 
a, a technique from uh, a more advanced stage, you skip the development of a, an earlier uh, technique. And I have, I have noticed that for me, I, I'm, I'm around stage five, uh, still dealing with stage four stuff. And I've noticed that for me, stage six practice of full, full body breathing is much easier than uh, body scanning. I, with body scanning, I, 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 I lose uh, awareness sometimes. It's, it's not always effective. But full body, body breathing, it's much easier. But I tend not to do it because of, of that, I don't know, that, that, that device from Trilodasa. And I, I'm not sure if, if, if that should be an option for me, but sometimes, uh, sometimes I cannot do the, the, the body scanning because of, I'm losing awareness too fast. Mm -hmm. And so I, I go back to stage four, but also uh, sometimes even at stage four, there's not much to do. I'm, I'm sitting, that actually connects to a second question of mine, that sometimes I'm sitting in a, in what I think is subtle dullness, but the, there, there are two types of subtle dullness I can notice. One is, is very energetic, as you said. I know that I'm subtle dullness, but it's, it's not something that is, is low energy. But there, there's a type of subtle dullness, at least what I think is subtle dullness, that uh, confuses me uh, and I'm not sure if it, it, it's actually subtle or if it's strong dullness because it's just a blank and I'm, I, I'm not sleeping and I, I'm not going further down, I'm not getting groggy or anything like that, but it's very blanked. And if someone, as Shilodasa said, if someone bangs on my door, I will, will get back. But at that moment, I don't know what to do because uh, body scanning, won't work and it's not a, a strong dullness where you apply an antidote and you can get more energy and so I get confused about those things and I, I found that a full body breathing sometimes helps with that but I'm, I'm not sure if what I should be doing in that case. Yeah, so full body breathing is an example of uh, or it can be an awareness practice or an attention practice. And uh, it's possible that you're using it as an awareness practice. And so uh, if you're, this is, so you know, you know the advice about meditating in an environment where there's a certain amount of, of noise? You've heard that advice? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. the reason that's beneficial is because it allows you to, when you, when you notice that you're dull, take some, some action with attention that uh, can counteract the dullness by exploring awareness. And so if there's nothing there, if it's totally silent, there's nothing to explore. You can't find anything. But what really works is... Sorry, using, using attention to explore awareness. Yeah, you're using attention to explore awareness. So basically, awareness is just there. And then attention goes out and says, well, now ask the question, what is there? Right? And then just goes and looks. And so uh, if you... So this is using extrospective awareness. You use extrospective awareness. You try to find the subtlest sensation you can find in, in your environment. And so for me, often that's like a sound of a truck on a highway five miles away and you can barely hear it. You really have to look for it to find it, but it's always there. Um, and so, so in doing that search, you're getting more and more subtle and that, that actually counteracts the dullness. You can also do the same thing with your body. 
So, uh, and, and this may be why the body scan is helping or the, the, the breathing with the body is helping you, right? Uh, because it's not so much that you're actually doing the full breathing with the body practice, but you're using your, the, the body environment as something to explore for subtle sensations, which then increases your mental energy. So that's not a bad thing to do. I mean, if, if you're meditating in a quiet environment, um, that totally works as a way to counteract illness, but it's not actually the same practice as breathing with the body. Okay. Um, and the other thing to say about breathing with the body is if you're in stage five and you go to breathing with the body and that gets easier than stage five, um, then uh, it's, it's quite likely that you're doing breathing with the body with a fair amount of, of subtle dullness. And so you haven't, the, the problem isn't that you can't do it. It's that it's not, you're not doing it the way that would work as, as a stage yeah. six practice. So, yeah. uh, so that doesn't mean don't do it. It just means don't, don't like, that's not stage six. Okay. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, having said that, I also noticed Sam was a little bit, uh, energetic and might have some comments as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was basically just going to say, um, sometimes, uh, doing, for example, doing the body breathing can be good to try out and the skills don't necessarily have to develop in a perfectly linear order. Um, sometimes it can be helpful if you're not having it quite enough, uh, precision to do, to put your intention on a specific body part and have it go there. It might help to do a practice where it's going to help you increase your conscious power and then you're going to have to go back, but it's not to say that you can't do it. Um, it may be that for your particular mind, developing a certain skill and then developing another skill works better in one order versus the other order. But in general, I think as long as you stick with generally the stage that you're at and don't get too far off track, uh, it'll be fine. Um, because I've, I've noticed in my own practice, um, the skills don't don't have to develop in the same order necessarily as Chuladasa lays out. And I know that's kind of counter to what he says, but that's just my own experience. Um, something like what helps, the, the way my stage five, six practice went was I was doing uh, the body breathing with subtle dullness. Um, but that actually helped me overcome subtle dullness. But uh, I did have to go back to stage five, even though I was doing the stage six body breathing practice. Um, and what I noticed after working with that practice is it inadvertently helped me increase my conscious power. So then I was able to notice more keenly when I was, uh, when I was dull and when I was not dull and, and uh, have a higher awareness for the different degrees of uh, subtle dullness and be basically more precise. But uh, what allowed me to do that was working with the stage six, even though I wasn't quite there yet. 
So does that make sense? Yeah, totally. But I wouldn't get too far off track, you know, like if it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And if, if you tried the body breathing for a while and you know, you know, you're doing it with a certain degree of dullness, but then you go back to stage five and nothing, nothing has changed. Then it, it might be better just to stick with stage five. But if jumping ahead helps you develop a certain skill that can be useful for the previous stage, just know that you're going to have to go back, but yeah. be open to, you know, going a little out of order if you have to. But yeah, you, that makes sense. You, I mean, it, it, you'll be, you'll be forced back to a, st a previous stage anyway. If you haven't developed the skills, I mean, you're going to have the same problem cropping up, and it, it will be obvious. Um, it's not like the, it, you know, uh, it'll be fairly clear what you need to work on. The other thing to say about what Chula Dasa was saying is that he may have been referring to a slightly different phenomenon than what we're talking about, which is that, uh, and this is something that I definitely uh, made the mistake of doing when I started out, you might really wish that you were at stage four or five or whatever, and um, not actually be there, and uh, but have this ambition to be there that, that kind of gets in the way of actually recognizing where you are. And when that happens, there can be a tendency to try and do the practice very effortfully. Um, and, uh, and, and basically wind up causing yourself harm because you start, you start beating yourself up for not doing it right or you start being disappointed all the time and practicing suddenly becomes less fun. And so if you, if you approach a later stage that way, that can be very detrimental to your practice. Um, but that's not what you're doing. So, so in that sense, you're not doing the thing that he's warning you about. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just, just one more thought. There's basically two basic skills in meditation. Uh, there's sensory clarity and there's concentration. And, uh, if you really want to break it down simply, uh, you can measure your practice against whether uh, you're increasing sensory clarity or whether you're increase, increasing the concentration. Um, and as a natural consequence, um, develop equanimity along the way, which is kind of Shinzen's three things, right? But the things yeah. to look for in the practice are, am I noticing things vividly? And am I able to stay on those things that I'm noticing vividly? When you do those two things at the same time, um, good things happen. But you have to have both of them at the same time. And uh, whatever, whatever you're doing, just make sure it's, it's going in that direction. Yeah. Thanks. next so I have a question uh, I understand that stage five to stage six the goal is to reduce subtle dullness or the goal for stage five is to reduce subtle dullness the 
in the moments of consciousness model, are you trying to get to a point where all moments are perceiving, or is that even possible? So I actually, I asked Jula Das about this a while back, and what he said is that um, as you progress in your practice, you will notice that there's always a certain degree of subtle dullness, um, that it gets less and less, but uh, probably, maybe it might go to zero at certain points, but it never is consistently at zero. There's always a little bit. And so what you're doing in stage five is really trying to get to the point where uh, sort of the gross subtle dullness is completely overcome, but there will still be some subtle dullness. And then you go into stage six and, and what will happen is, and I think Sam was alluding to this, as your acuity gets better, you'll start to notice more subtle, subtle dullness. And then you'll, you'll be able to counteract that because you can notice it. If you can't notice it, you can't do anything about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, so, so, you know, I was asking him about that because uh, there was this, there's this uh, bit in, in the mind illuminated where he says, you don't want to do jhana with subtle dullness. And so I asked him, you know, do you have to completely eliminate subtle dullness before you do jhana? And he said, no, you have to eliminate subtle dullness to the extent that you need to eliminate it to, you know, at stage five. Um, and that's not, that doesn't mean that it's entirely gone. It just means that it's much, much less. So that's the, that's why the advice at stage five is not completely eliminates subtle dullness, but rather uh, you should have more energy at the end of your practice than you had at the beginning. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? I have another question related to what Rich said earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking about meta, I don't know, meta talk in, in the, the session about thinking about meditation and, oh, this is going well, what should, should I do now, things like that. I should talk to, about this with the guys, uh, something like that. And uh, distractions have dialed down a lot for me, but mental conversations, either reviewing conversations or rehearsing conversations are what are getting me now. So um, consistently, most of my distractions have to do with mental conversations. I don't get uh, distractions about other things anymore. And I don't know if it's something specific uh, that I have to deal with or it's just more of the same, I should just keep doing what I'm doing and it, it will eventually uh, resolve itself. Or if it's something I should pay attention in some other way, do you have any, any advice on that? Uh, so one thing to do about that is try to notice when it starts. Um, and uh, but the other thing is, so, so there's, a, there's a function in your brain that verbalizes things. And uh, there's a tendency for that function to verbalize whatever is happening in the unconscious that's, that's sort of topical. And so uh, to some extent, you can't get rid of it until, until you get deep enough into your practice that it just stops happening. And, and so, so in that sense, you could say, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and eventually that will stop. And, and that's, I think that's, there's, there's truth to that. Um, 
But at the same time, uh, it does, and, and by the way, if you sit there and try to force it to stop, that's really not very effective. I, I, don't, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Um, but uh, you can explore why it's happening and how it's happening, and I think that can be fruitful. So try to notice, like, when this is happening, if you can't make it stop, uh, it might be worth just spending a little time noticing exactly what is happening. Like, where is this coming from? See you, Sam. Um, you know, uh, can you can you notice any kind of like like is is what's being verbalized actually does it need to be verbalized or uh, is that actually unnecessary? Uh, you know, so so basically just exploring like all of the different angles of like like how this is happening, why it's happening, whether it's useful, that kind of stuff. Um, that's going to be a distraction from following the breath, so it's not ideal, but uh, but it can be fruitful to explore that. Um, you know, maybe even as a separate practice, like you can you can actually explore this as a as as a sort of a modified do nothing practice. I found it very helpful because what I found is that I actually do notice the distinction between the verbalization and the thing that's underneath the verbalization. And the thing that's underneath the verbalization is actually a distraction. It's not the verbalization that's the problem. It's the thing that's being verbalized that's the problem. And so that's a, a relatively subtle distraction, but it can go on and on and on. And so learning to notice that and, and go back to the breath can be really helpful. But you have to actually notice it before you can work with it. So. Yeah. In my case, it's mainly... I wouldn't say it's not useful, but it's not useful at the moment. Yep. So it's not something I need to, to be thinking about right now. Yeah. And when I do the do nothing practice, sometimes I do a whole session, a uh, separate session just with do nothing. And mm -hmm. uh, distractions tend to, to dial down and I, I only deal with total dullness and dullness. And it's only when I, I, I and I, I thought about it in terms of Tucker Effects, uh, advice on, um, he was saying something about, uh, he, he, he had to discover why he, he didn't want to, to concentrate before he, would, he was able to, to develop attention, stable attention. And it felt something like that, something, oh, it, it only happens as I, I'm, I'm getting more stable attention. And when I drop the, the intention to, to, to pay attention to the breath, the mental talk disappears. So yeah, uh, I've, I've been kind of exploring that direction, but not, you know, not too much su success so far. Yeah. So, so you might try, so, so bearing in mind that one of the goals of, of the, you know, stage four, five, six zone is to improve your, your introspective awareness. Um, you might try uh, trying to keep the attention on the breath, but trying to have introspective awareness about what's happening, about not just not just the verbalization, but what's underneath the verbalization, the the the, the, the mental process that's under the verbalization. Um, just have that intention as you're following the breath and see what happens, because you know this is this is ongoing, right? It's not like like when you're when you're concentrating on the breath you're hearing all of this verbalization happening. And so, so it's always available to you to explore. And so it can actually be maybe useful to, 
to see if you can explore it with introspective awareness while you keep your attention on the breath. Um, and, you know, see what happens. The other thing to say about it is, uh, to some extent, this stuff is actually not um, in attention, it's in awareness. And so, uh, so it may be that you really don't need to be worrying about it at all anyway. Right? Like, if yeah, it's not probably is a little distraction. Hmm? Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, the problem is when they become uh, a gross distraction, because sometimes, depending on the, the topic of the conversation, it pulls me out of the breath and I go down the rabbit hole. And... Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you may need to, to, uh, to take a bunch of different approaches to this. One of them being, uh, you know, just so... I guess one thing to say about this is there are certain kinds of subtle distractions that are kind of ongoing. I mean, it's like we talk about subtle distractions as if there's only one kind, but, but, but really there are lots of different kinds of subtle distractions. One of them is the kind that's just sort of this momentary blip and you're like, oh, isn't that interesting? And, and you could follow it, but you don't have to. Um, another is where there's like some thought that, you're, that your unconscious mind is really interested in and really wants to do something about and isn't just gonna let go of. And, but it's not actually, really arising in consciousness all the time, but it, it wants to arise in consciousness. And so, um, so with that kind of thought, um, the way I describe it is it's kind of like chasing a rabbit through the forest. Like, like you're, you're, um, you know, the thought really wants to be in consciousness and you know, it wants to be you. <laughs> There's, there is an awareness that it wants to be in consciousness. And, um, and action is taken to not have it be in consciousness, um, but it doesn't stop. And that's actually a stage six problem, right? Like if you listen to, if you read the description of stage six, stage six is all about um, getting to the point where the, where the subminds that are trying to present those thoughts to consciousness just give up because it's just, you know, <laughs> it's not happening. So, uh, so it's actually not bad that that's happening at stage four, except that it, it can become a gross distraction. So the way that you would deal with that at, at stage four or stage five is just do the rabbit chase, like just keep chasing it, like as long as it takes until, until the thought subsides. Just, and when I say chase it, what I mean is, is, you know, as it keeps clamoring for attention, just keep noticing that it's clamoring for attention, accepting that it's clamoring for attention and letting it go. And you might just have to do that for like five minutes. And, and if that's what you have to do for five minutes, that's actually a really good practice. It's, it's not a waste of time. You're, you're actually, that's beneficial. Like over time, what will happen is that that process will become automatic. It'll all happen in introspective awareness instead of happening in attention. And so over time, what you'll, what you'll notice is those thoughts will just get thinner and thinner and thinner. And at some point, they'll be completely transparent. And then a little bit after that, they'll just blink out. So. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Thank you, I will try that. Sure, and I mean, I'm not saying this is the technique that will work for you, by the way, but it's, yeah. it's what I do and it does seem to be effective, so. Yeah. So maybe it'll work for you. All right, what's next? Oh. Mike has his hand up. Mike, you're, uh, 
I don't think you're talking into your, your right microphone or something, because all I'm really hearing is buzz. How does it sound? It's, it's a little better. Is this a new microphone? Same microphone. Huh. It may be that that's not the microphone that's actually enabled. Hang on a minute. Oh, there you go. That's not bad. Better? Yeah. I guess that okay. is the microphone. I just jiggled the, the plug. Maybe the, uh, maybe yes. the connection's coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had actually had a question that I, I finally came up with. Um, one thing I kind of discovered was my uh, attention and peripheral awareness wasn't as strong as I thought it was. Um, and uh, I started to really kind of go light on the attention on the breath at the nose so that my peripheral awareness was stronger. And um, I kind of, I didn't do this on purpose, but my brain, I guess my brain's kind of like image based. So it kind of has an image of my nose with the air breathing in and out. And as my attention became very light on that, the, my, the image of the nose in my mind became very small. Like the, the size of the nose was tiny when I'm <laughs> and it, and kind of like further away from my body. Like it's not like I was hallucinating or anything, but just kind of a mental, sure. the position of my nose and the, the size of it would get smaller. And I was just, and sometimes I've tried to go back to that, to that kind of balance, uh, very light on the nose. And I kind of um, try to mentally imagine a very tiny nose and kind of pushing it further away from my face with a feather, like the feather and the snowflake thing. I think uh, someone mentioned in the, was it Nick? Um, in the Reddit, Reddit, so like pushing, pushing away with the feather from my body. So it gets very light. I'm not sure if that really works to have that imagery. I was wondering if like when you're, when you're imagining like physical things, is, is that not really the route you want to go down because it's, it's relying on, on an imagined type thing rather than, than the actual sensations without anything around it. Well, so where you are in the practice right now, um, you might uh, try to, to, I mean, I, you've probably heard me say this before. Tell me if this makes sense to you. Um, rather than seeking out the sensation, invite this to the sensation. So, so don't, like when you make a mental image and, and try to have that sort of corral the sensation, um, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to do in the early stages. It's a useful way to think about it, but at some point it's useful to let go of that and just um, try to allow the sensations of the nose to appear in attention rather than trying to push attention at them. So, um, and if you do that, then, then, you know, for me, the way that that generally manifests is that the locality of the sensations gets less. So in other words, um, they, uh, like that, that image you have of the nose getting smaller for me, it's like, they just kind of go like, <laughs> and they're just like, kind of there's, they still have some locality to them, but they're not tightly localized anymore, but it's the same sensations. And so you might try playing with that and see if that helps. Um, what I find the, the advantage that I find to that is that, is that, because you're picking the sensations out of awareness with attention instead of trying to 
localized attention on the sensations, it's got less of an effect of, of uh, suppressing awareness. And so you, you get a better balance of attention and awareness. Um, so, you know, just to clarify, you're saying that you should, um, oops, that's my mind, mindful bell goes off on the hour. Uh, so you're saying that you should, um, pick out certain parts that kind of come yeah. to you? Yeah. I mean, if you think about what the function of attention is, it's to, it's to select things from awareness, right? It's to, it's to, it's to choose from amongst all of the things that you're aware of, the thing that you're actually interested in. And so one way to do that is to have this like really clear idea of what it is that you want to pay attention to. And then, and then kind of have attention, like go out and look for that thing. The other way to approach it is basically, um, I can't remember if you're, if you're a computer geek or not. So I don't know whether this will work for you, but, but basically to me, it's like, it's like, you know, information is scrolling by and you're like picking out the ones that you want. So, so using attention as a picking out function rather than as a finding function. And, you know, yeah, so. Okay, worth checking out. Anybody else? I can ask a question about uh, Meta. So I'm, I've been doing Meta for two or three weeks now at the start of my sits for 15 minutes. Um, I have this understanding that the object in my, my Meta practice should be the intention to, uh, well, basically the intention to have loving kindness or to give that intention to myself. But the intention is for me to feel that or for someone else to feel that. Um, I find it really hard to make an intention my object that way. Um, mm. At first, the, the object would just be, uh, so I'm following the instructions in TMI, the object would be just the, the phrases that I'm saying or, or the mental imagery that I'm using to induce the feelings. Um, eventually, I got, I got just the feelings themselves as the object sometimes. It's sort of like radiating warm, pleasant feeling. Uh, but that doesn't seem like that's not the intention. That seems very distinct from, from the having the intention. Uh, I, that doesn't seem like an object I actually know how to, how to hold in a stable way. Mm -hmm. Is this a matter of practicing more or uh, I've also heard it said that um, just this feeling itself is a perfectly good meta object. So I'm not really sure what, uh, what I should be doing. Yeah. I mean, to some extent you need to let the object be your guide. Um, like, like what's coming up for you, let that be your guide because uh, you can't always force the feeling and you don't want to force the feeling anyway. But so, so the intention is, uh, really a thing that you just, you, you, you want to have an intention to, to, to have this altruistic uh, attitude. Um, it's a little complicated because it's, uh, meta is often referred to as an altruistic intention, but that's not meant in exactly the same way that we use intention when we're talking about meditation. It, it's sort of the same, but not really. So, so, Meta is basically an attitude. It's it's a it's a it's a habitual way of thinking if you if you if you develop it well, um, of just wanting uh, others to be happy and free of suffering, and um, so you can have an intention 
to want others to be happy and free of suffering. And you may find that if you hold that intention, that feelings arise. Um, and the feelings can be a really convenient place to kind of put your, your attention because they're attractive. But the feelings themselves aren't the intention, right? They're just arising out. They're kind of like the reward that you get for having the intention. So, so that doesn't mean that they're not a good object, but, but when they go away, that's okay. Because the goal is not to have the feeling. The goal is to have the intention or the, uh, the, the, the attitude. So um, maybe it helps to just think of intention as I have an intention to have an attitude of wanting everybody to be happy and free of suffering. Um, and so the intention is the, is the little, it's like this, when you have an intention to follow the breath, right? Um, the, the intention to have the altruistic attitude is, is what, so you hold the intention, but the object is the altruistic attitude, not the intention. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that does make sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, at some point you may find that you, that, that you actually develop a certain amount of, of distaste for the, um, for the reward part because it actually gets in the way of clearly seeing the intention or the, 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 the altruistic attitude. Um, so, so, but you don't need to force that to happen. It's just, it's, if you do meta practice, you will probably discover all kinds of interesting things that just arise randomly as you're doing it. And that's actually one of the great things about meta practice. So. I, uh, I often have like really strong PT waves that are like washing down my body and they become very distracting. Uh, yeah. So I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, more questions. I would be okay with ending now, but I don't want anybody to feel like they didn't get a chance to ask their questions. Riff, do you have a question? Oh, your hand is up. Look at that. Yeah, I wanted to go back to something that, um, sorry, I forget. The other person who helps out was saying that. Sam. Sam, yeah, sorry. Um, I guess talking about, um, what was it? The three things and kind of how equanimity was the third thing and the other two were Oh, yeah. what? So what he said was, and that was actually, I really liked that. Apparently that's a Shenzhen Young thing that I hadn't heard before, that you're looking for uh, uh, an experience, a, a vivid experience of, of the object. And for the, for the attention to be stable on the vivid experience of the object. Yeah. And I guess I wanted to talk about that or ask about that and kind of the relation to equanimity. Because in some ways, I feel like equanimity might almost be like the, the most valuable thing mm -hmm. that's come out in my life, you know, over, over doing this for a couple of years. You know, there's been, I mean, yes, I can put, the, put attention on an object much more stably than before and I can keep attention on it and it's somewhat vivid. And I guess, you know, you know Tuck, Tucker will often say, well, okay, like, putting your attention stably on an object is like the world's stupidest party trick. Like, why do you care about continuing to focus on your own breath? You're basically wireheading. Um, I feel like in some of the other work I've done, like especially like the retreats I've been in with Dharma Ocean, you know, they'll really set equanimity as a very explicit goal. Mm -hmm. And so I was interested to hear about, um, you know, thoughts on not doing that, but like how or why equanimity might arise as like a byproduct of 
vividness and attention and sort of whether we should set a community as an explicit goal and kind of how those things relate a little bit more. That seemed like an interesting topic to me. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think that there's a, equanimity can happen in a number of different ways, right? And, and so one of the ways that it can happen is that you just develop, you're, you become less reactive. And as you become less reactive, then, um, then you have a certain degree of equanimity just because you're not reacting as much. And that's really nice. And that's a great, that's a great uh, meditation result. And, and that's probably somewhat what you're, what you're experiencing right now. Oh, Some, although it's definitely far from all of it, because I feel like that by itself has like a real limitation, because you could also say like, if you're dead, you're completely equanimous because right. you don't care about anything, you know, or you just give up on caring about anything. And there's kind of a, a yeah. nihilistic equanimity. And it yeah. feels like something a lot better than that has been happening to me as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know how to talk about that, but, um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and, you know, if you think about it in terms of like jhana, uh, when you, when you, when you put your attention on the feeling of pleasure and then you, you land in jhana, um, then you wind up having a very strong positive feeling and that's that's first jhana and then uh, at some point you get kind of tired of having that strong positive feeling and then you go into second jhana and you know you proceed through second jhana to third jhana to to, to fourth jhana and in fourth jhana you have equanimity and the equanimity that you have in fourth jhana has underneath it the same energy that you had in first jhana the energy hasn't gone away right What's gone away is the uh, the struggle, the the roughness, um, and so so you're no longer like you don't need the pleasure anymore. You're just in this wonderful heightened state of, and and that's actually to some extent what um, Shinzen Young is talking about when he's talking about vividness, right? It's like you could have a complete, you you could have like a very quiet mind because your mind is dull. Or you could have a very quiet mind because your mind is totally vivid, but equanimous. And so, so what Sam was talking about is vividness tends to produce disturbance, right? And then, so the, your first thing is, can I get vividness? But now I've got vividness and there's all of this stuff going on. And then you need to go the other way and start like balancing it. And the balance is, is what allows the vividness to become stable so that your mind isn't wandering around. And when you have that, then you have equanimity. And, but it's an equanimity that is energetic, not, not depressed essentially. So, and you know, I'm, I'm saying this basically my experience of, I'm, 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 talking about this in terms of experience and theory, not in terms of like, you know, like I know the, the official Dharma answers to this. Um, you know, it's, it's, but I mean, equanimity, like, like at the very, so you're familiar with the term suchness? I've heard it, but I wouldn't say I understand it. Yeah, I know. It's a very poorly understood term. Um, so suchness is basically that things are as they are, right? It's like this, this really, it, it sounds so obvious. Things are as they are. Like, like, of course they are as they are. Like, who would debate that? And yet, 
if you look at the way your mind works, your mind is never accepting of the, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know your mind, but, but typically a person's mind is not accepting of the way things are. A person's mind is not starting from this is how things are and then moving from there, but rather is starting from this is how things should be. And then there's all of the struggle because things aren't that way. And so everything you do based on the idea that things should be this way is practically guaranteed to fail. So, so suchness is the experience or, or the, in a sense, it's the fact that things are as they are, which of course is, you can't really argue with. Um, but from the perspective of practice, the experience of suchness is perfect equanimity. Perfect equanimity, meaning I don't need things to be different than they are. Like, like I, I don't have a belief that things should be some other way than they are right now. Doesn't mean that you can't do things like, like to make things better. If you see something that you'd like to change, you can change it, but, but you accept that things are exactly as they are. And then you work from there. This is like, like, you know, you've heard the term start where you are. That's that. Thank you. A lot to think about there. Yeah. Uh, but coming back to the original question, I guess we would say that in this practice, we don't need to explicitly set an intention around increasing equanimity. We let it happen as a byproduct of other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because the, the, the equanimity that you really want, the equanimity that is the realization of suchness is a super mundane realization. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not something that you understand intellectually and it's not, um, it's not something that you learn by developing habits. It's really a breaking of a habit. Well, I want to, I mean, if we're not out of time, I could, I could, I could ponder on that a little bit more because yeah. I think about the way that I did, like, so one of the problems I used to have for a long time was sort of um, physical irritation in my sits. Yep. And, you know, like I was, like my back would start to tighten up. I mean, it still tightens up a little bit. And, you know, I would get really frustrated and I would feel like I was fighting against it. And I feel like the way I eventually got through with that was really like, you know, sort of inviting it in and saying, okay, like, this is going to be a physical sensation, but like, I'm going to accept it for what it is. I'm not going to struggle against it. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's certainly a kind of equanimity practice right, right. there. Like and what you just described is um, having an attitude of suchness, right? Your, your attitude is things are as they are, right? Yeah, for sure. It is as it is. I'm not going to resist it. I'm not going to fight it. It is as it is. Yeah. Right? I guess I'm just saying I found it valuable to intentionally cultivate that attitude rather than just wait for it to develop, to, it to develop as a byproduct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a fair point. So, um, uh, I'm not saying I have the answers. I'm just giving my experiences. Right. No, no. I, I think, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's definitely worth while to to understand that uh, a lot of the pain that we have is the result of resisting how things are and um, and that if we can deliberately let go of that or at least notice that we're doing that that can be very powerful um, and but the the thing that I'm kind of pointing to, and you may already, I mean, I, I never know where people are with these things, but um, uh, a certain amount of the pain that we experience and a certain amount of the, the non-acceptance that we experience is not something that we can consciously let go of. 
Um, it tends to be the more subtle stuff, but, but also like if you ever notice that somebody says something to you and you just have like a <clears throat> feeling or you see something happen, you just have a <clears throat> feeling like yeah. consciously, consciously fighting that isn't very effective because it's already too late by the time the feeling arises. Well, that's super interesting. I mean, it certainly relates to a lot of things in my experience. And what I'm finding is that um, I, compared to like a couple of years ago, I definitely noticed myself having those experiences. Mm -hmm. But whereas before, like I would notice them much further downstream and, you know, I would notice them after a bunch of bad actions. You know, now I can notice them like as they start to show up in my body and I can, you know, cultivate an intention to say like that's, or I do cultivate an intention to say, well, okay, I am where I am, like such mm -hmm. as you would say. But I do try and like, cultivate intention and notice these things as they're happening. I mean, the yep. same way I, and maybe the same way I do when I'm meditating to notice distractions and notice these kinds of things and feelings coming up mm -hmm. and they very quickly like lose a lot of their force. Like when you notice them earlier, you can kind of see the absurdity of it. Like, you know, often for me, like one that shows up is like noticing something and then like noticing a process that would trigger jealousy in me. That's a big one. Like, Oh, mm -hmm. I wish my life were like that. And now I can very much observe, I mean, it's not like it doesn't arise at all. It's not like I feel nothing, but I, I observe it, you know, in relatively quite early stages. And then, you know, you can observe the emotion, but you can also observe kind of the, you know, to me, it shows up as kind of like a funny absurdity. Like there's no point in caring about this, like sort of seeing it from a much bigger perspective. Right. Yeah. So, so what you're describing um, is that result that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's not, um, you know, when, 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 you, when you notice the thing happening and the, the, the experience of it being just ridiculous arises spontaneously, yeah. you know, who is it that's, 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 that's yeah. like counteracting it? Yeah. And it's that actually leads me back to, that leads me yeah. back to when we say it that way, it kind of feels like maybe we have a partial answer for me, at least to Sam's original question, which is like, this process of, you know, building vivid attention. I mean, the way it's going to work is that you eventually off the cushions start to become vividly attentive to things arising in your mind and body as they happen. And yeah. that, you know, maybe directly leads to sort of noticing how absurd those things are and leading to equanimity about them potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so part of, part of what's possibly going on for you is that, is that, so the way that your practice can go is that, is that at some point, you start to just automatically see through the illusion. And the way that that's experienced is that, you know, you still might have the trigger go off, but you, you look at it and you're like, what was that? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> that's ridiculous. And after a while, like if you, if you, if you, uh, if you get good at, at noticing these triggers going off and releasing them, this is, this is sort of the, the path of habituation kind of stuff. You're, you're, you let go of them. And at some point, the trigger stops happening. Like yeah. you know, your, your experience of jealousy, like maybe, maybe now it's a lot attenuated, but at some point you might have this experience of like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be jealous right now. Where, yeah, what that's, that's, hap that's happened with some other things in my life for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's been, it's, I mean that's why meditation has been so great. It's been amazing. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's a path result. I mean, you know, I don't want to make any bold claims, but, but uh, that's, that's, that's what that's that's what the practice is supposed to be producing. Yeah, that's right. Do it. It's great. Well, thanks for the clarification, Ted, and thanks for bringing this up, Sam. If you're still here, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, this is super interesting. I thanks for taking the time to discuss this.
Can I chime in a little bit? Mm -hmm. uh, what I think happens sometimes, especially with people that, that are starting, is that uh, when, because the idea of suchness is at, at the same time so far out and so obvious, and uh, sometimes people misunderstand it and they, they try to apply it from a place where they don't have the necessary skills to, to do it. So people may might sometimes just say, oh, everything is just perfect as it is, so I don't have to do nothing. And as Tom said, uh, it, it becomes apathy instead of equanimity. So I think after a while, after, after you develop some, some skills as, as Rich's case seems to be, then you 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 are able to to be equanimous and 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 develop that and intends to develop equanimity, but without falling into the trap of of just doing nothing and thinking, oh, this is great, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. And another thing that that I can relate to is the the habitual thinking that sometimes not only the habitual thinking but sometimes the habitual acting also sometimes i notice that uh the the re emotional reaction comes and i can notice the emotional reaction and sometimes i act out of habit even though i know i shouldn't be acting that way and uh, i i i still dealing with that but it's funny because it's sometimes I let's say I'm going to to eat a piece of chocolate because I'm anxious. I'm I'm aware that I'm anxious and I'm aware that I'm eating, eating this piece of chocolate because I'm anxious and I know that I probably shouldn't be doing that. But the habit kicks in and it goes by itself. But as it, you observe it, it it seems that it, it keeps getting weaker until yes. one day you, you see the piece of chocolate. Oh, I don't need to eat it. Yep. Exactly. I'd like to also mention, because um, I was uh, actually still, I'm still learning about equanimity as well. And uh, I really like this conversation. Um, I started reading The Loving Kindness, um, The Revolutionary Art of Happiness by Sharon Salzberg. And she has a chapter in there on equanimity, um, which has been helpful for me understanding uh, a little bit uh, about it. And she mentions that ultimately equanimity is learning how to deeply let go. So, because, like I said, 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows of life, the constant roller coaster of pleasure and pain, um, that's outside of your control. You have to learn how to let that go, and that directly ties with what we do in meditation, yeah. constantly, constant letting go of, of what's coming in there. Um, so, yeah, I do definitely recommend that, that book if you want to learn some more. One subtlety about letting go is that we tend to think of letting go as being getting rid of, and it's not. Yeah, she mentions a lot about the acceptance, exactly what you guys were talking about, suchness, ex accepting things as the way they are. Yep. I remember reading one article. I, I think it was that, uh, I don't recall the, the author, on um, non-verbal non experience, something like that. Non, it was a, a research. And one thing that it mentions is that intermediate meditators 
tend to to develop the ability to to step away from the whatever is causing the issue but advanced meditators learn to step into whatever is causing an issue so uh, that's the different type of equanimity of course we need to develop that ability to step back first but the the goal is not to to go to run away from whatever is happening but to step into and be able to to be within whatever is happening and be economous anyway. Uh -huh. Nice. we lost Ted. Nope, I'm still oh, here. Oh, oh. <laughs> you, were just, you were just standing very still. <laughs> I thought we had to. I was just being equanimous. I was being equanimous, yeah. No, I was I was really just enjoying the, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, I remember uh, years ago studying with, with my uh, Tibetan Buddhist Lama and he was saying, uh, you know, we, we asked him like, you know, what did, what do Buddhists do? Like, like, what do they spend their time on? And he was like, yeah, they just sit around and talk about Dharma all the time. And, and I was like, why would you do that? That sounds horrible. Like, why would you want to do that? But actually it's really fun talking about equanimity. Like, like I'm just really enjoying this conversation. So, so maybe that's like a foreshadowing of, of what's to come somehow. I don't know. Anyway, uh, on that note, uh, does anybody have any last thoughts or? I was uh, listening to a Shenzhen Young video. He was talking about equanimity. And so he turned it into a verb and said, you should equanimize things that bother you. <laughs> yep. I'd just like to mention if you, if you wanna test your equanimity uh, go out of the country for three months and then come back and stay with your family. And uh, it's a great test for your triggering skills and all that. So that's what I'm doing right now. Just to let you guys know. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, there, there's a, there's a saying that, you know, if you think that you're enlightened, go hang out with your family for a while. <laughs> yeah. And spend three days traveling, going through airport security, customs, yeah. uh, straining your back, picking up luggage and then coming yeah. back and, and staying with your crazy family and it's great for yeah. testing things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful practice. You should, you should, you should rejoice. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think we, it sounds like we've pretty much exhausted our, uh, our pool of, of, uh, things to talk about for the day. So, um, I'm going to wish you all farewell and, uh, hopefully I'll see a bunch of you next weekend. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Thank you.